Many things, amen, said to us over this past week that we needed to hear, amen. Words of warning, words of exhortation, words of self-examination, amen. But if we don't hear reproof, amen, if we won't hear correction, then we will never clearly see the remedy, amen. We'll never truly see the remedy, amen. But the Holy Ghost here this morning is going to lift up, magnify the remedy for you, amen. May God give us ears to hear Leviticus 16, 11 through 19. Leviticus 16, 11 through 19. The all-sufficient remedy is Jesus. Amen. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. He shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord. And his hands full of sweet incense beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he died not. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, and bring his blood within the veil, and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place, because of the uncleanliness of the children of Israel, because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation, that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanliness. I want you to take note of verse 14. And he shall take the blood of the bullet, which is the sin offering, and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Seven times he's going to sprinkle that blood. Now turn over to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 22 through 24. That you are coming to Mount Sion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly, the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Father, we come before you, Lord God, on the ground and the basis of this blood, the blood of the Lamb. And I ask you, Father, for utterance and articulation, Lord God, I yield myself to you. I pray that you would unveil Jesus Christ afresh. 
in our midst here this morning, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that Jesus would be lifted up and exalted and magnified, that we might all be drawn unto him as the remedy. Oh, Father God, I pray in Jesus' name, the anointing of the Holy Ghost that destroys every yoke, Father God. Pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the Word to have power and authority and unction, Father God. We all ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Oh, the blood, the blood of Jesus is a precious topic indeed. Amen. There is nothing so central to biblical theology than blood sacrifice. Do you believe that here this morning? Amen. Throughout the Old Testament, the importance of sacrificial blood was again and again ingrained upon that Jewish psyche. Blood was sprinkled on the people themselves. Blood was sprinkled on the altar. Blood on the temple instruments, amen. Even on the tip of the right ear and the right thumb and the right great toe of that priest, there was blood. And when it came to the temple life of, of the Jew, blood was everywhere. There was a constant reminder, amen, that the innocent is going to have to pay for sin. The innocent is going to lose life because of sin, amen. In the book of Leviticus alone, sacrificial blood is mentioned 66 times. For example, in Leviticus 17 and 11, a very familiar verse, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. Amen. There can be no atonement. And that word literally means at one meant. No reconciliation to God by a man, by a human being, apart from sufficient Sacrificial blood. It's absolutely necessary. Amen. The Jewish nation chosen of God, providentially blessed with the very oracles of God, were stewards and caretakers of the foremost thought and the doctrine of atonement. What is that? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Now that word remission means not only forgiveness, but deliverance and liberty. You'll never be set free from sin without faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must believe that Jesus died for you and that you died with Him. Amen. And you've been risen up in newness of life. Liberty and deliverance for the captive is in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and in none other. Amen. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. I must believe that blood was shed for me. It's not enough for me to believe that it was just shed. It's not enough for me to believe that it was divine. Amen. It's not enough for me to believe those things. I must believe that it was shed for me. Or it is ineffectual. Amen. Jewish history carefully and meticulously chronicled was rich with not a few lofty and monumental occasions. But in the Jewish mind, perhaps one event above all others transcend every other. It was the Passover. Amen. It was here 
in the Passover that God instructed a captive nation held in Egyptian bondage. God told Moses, you command the people, every man, amen, take a lamb. Every man, take a lamb. A lamb for a household. I tell you here this morning, the Holy Ghost tells you, you better have a lamb, amen. You had better have a lamb. You take that lamb and that lamb is without spot and without blemish, of course. Typical of the Lord Jesus Christ. A lamb for a house. You kill it in the evening. Amen. And then you eat every bit of it. As that death angel was going to pass through Egypt and kill every firstborn where the blood was not applied. He told him, you take the blood and you strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post. And that death angel will pass over you. I come to tell you this morning, it wasn't enough just to kill the lamb. It wasn't enough just to drain the blood. It wasn't enough to partake of the lamb. You had to apply that blood to that doorpost or it proved you believe nothing. Not enough just to believe Jesus died for you. Not enough to believe that he's the Messiah. You must believe those things. Amen. You must believe. But just to make a mental assent. No, no. Faith is going to act upon the Word of God. And you got to apply, amen, that blood to your life and to your home, literally. And if you don't, death, amen, is there. Death is there. Thus, for the Old Testament Jew, sacrificial blood was an integral part of everyday life. Why is that? Because God intended for them to know the absolute, the utter necessity and the importance of that sacrificial blood for it to be ingrained upon their person. Amen. For it to be, for them to take that as it were for granted. We must have a pure sacrifice. But likewise, there's nothing more fundamental to New Testament Christianity as the doctrine of the blood of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake, this covenant is a blood covenant ratified by the shed blood of the Lamb. And everything stands and everything falls on the basis of that shed blood. Nothing else, amen, on the basis of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is that fundamental and that important. Now, we read here in the book of Hebrews that the blood of Christ speaks to us, amen. It speaks to us, and moreover, we read, it speaks to us better things than the blood of Abel. What does the blood of Abel cry? The blood of Abel cries justice. The blood of Abel cries judgment. You say, are those things bad things? No, no. Judgment is a good thing. Amen. Amen. Judgment is a good thing. Justice is a good thing. But the Bible says that the blood of Jesus speaks better things than those good things. Amen. Remember mercy rejoices against judgment. That doesn't mean judgment is evil. It means mercy is preferred. God doesn't rejoice in the destruction of any. He doesn't delight at the death of the wicked. Amen. His primary will is that all men would come to repentance. Amen. His will for you here this morning is for you to be delivered from all iniquity. For you to be consecrated 
consecrated fully to the Lord Jesus Christ and set apart for a holy purpose and a holy task. That is His will. Amen. And I encourage you here this morning, please allow God to do that in your life. Amen. Believe on Christ and remain in Him. But hence, from our text, we know number one, the blood of Jesus speaks. And number two, we know that it speaks better things than the blood of Abel. What better things does the blood of Jesus say to us through the Word of God? Amen. For our thought here this morning, I want to bring your mind back to the book of Leviticus. And we read there the high priest, when making atonement, when making atonement, amen, for the people, he dipped his finger into the blood of that sin offering. And he sprinkled it on the mercy seat seven times. I believe this is typical. It's a foreshadowing of the perfect and complete sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you look through the New Testament and the Gospels, you see seven times when Jesus' blood was shed. I believe each time is significant. And each time we're going to learn, amen, that the blood of Jesus speaks better things to us than the blood of Abel. Now, I want to make a qualification before we begin here. I'm not suggesting that any of these single acts constitute the atonement. Somebody say amen. For you accuse me of being a heretic. Amen. I'm not suggesting that any of these single acts constitute the atonement. The only, the uh, atonement, the only thing, the atonement required, amen, the shedding of blood unto death. It was the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and the shedding of His blood unto death that constitutes the atonement. But these seven occasions, I believe, teach us, amen, speak to us more specifically about the whole of the atonement. So we're going to look at these individually, and I believe it can bring us to a greater appreciation of what Jesus has done first and foremost for the glory of God, first and foremost for the love of His Father. But secondly, and thank God that you and I could be redeemed from bondage. Amen. Well, when was the first time that Jesus' blood was shed? Amen. I just refer to this message as the seven bloodlettings of Christ. The seven bloodlettings of Christ. The first bloodletting was circumcision. Circumcision. It says in Luke 2 and 27, the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law. What was the custom spoken of here? It's contained in the ceremonial law, Leviticus 12 and 3, and in the eighth day the flesh of this foreskin, speaking of an infant boy, shall be circumcised. But just as the law specified, Joseph and Joseph and Mary took the baby Jesus to the temple to be circumcised on the eighth day. Now, no doubt, if we think back, speculate a bit, it was probably routine for the priest in that day. A day like any other day. He woke up, he went about his duties, and circumcision were part of the daily duties of the temple priest. He never dreamed in his wildest imagination that his hands would handle deity. 
He never dreamed, amen, that blood would touch him, divine blood, blood that would justify, blood that would save, blood that would deliver. He never dreamed it would just be another baby, one after another. So the priest, oblivious to the significance of the moment, took that baby and with a sharp temple knife, he circumcised him. And suddenly the cry of that infant boy could be heard through the temple halls. But this wasn't just any baby. Amen. No, no. God manifested in the flesh. And the blood that stained the priest. Amen. The blood that stained that consecrated knife of the priest was not just any blood. I can imagine that he used that knife on a thousand goats and a thousand bullocks before. Amen. But now, amen, he cut in to the divine flesh of God manifested in mankind. For the first time, there was a suitable sacrifice. And that blood was stained, or pardon me, that knife was stained with divine blood. It was divine. Blood like none other, blood like none before, or none since. Precious blood, infinitely greater than the blood of sacrificial bulls and goats, far superior even to the blood of the most righteous martyrs. Abel was a righteous martyr. Amen. When those priests heard the piercing cry that day, it was the first cry of the blood that speaks better things to us. Amen. It was the first cry. Even the cradle of Jesus was tinged with crimson. It was a token of Calvary, the shadow of the cross, already looming over that child. Amen. Every man that's born is born to live. But Jesus came into this world destined to die. Amen. The Bible says He was the Lamb of God slain from the foundations of the world. Amen. He came destined to lay down His life. Amen. To seek and to save those who were lost. Thank God He came. Thank God He came. But even the cradle was marked with that crimson. Circumcision though. What does this tell us? What does it speak to us? How does the blood of Jesus teach us in this circumstance? This circumstance, Circumcision always represents covenant. And that blood was a forever sign and a seal of the covenant of grace. That blood reveals to us that God, through the finished work of Christ. Now there's no other way to God. Amen. I said there's no other way to God. There's but one way to God. Jesus said, I'm the door. Amen. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me and by his method and pattern. Amen. But through that finished work of Christ, God is always, listen to me, always willing to reason, always willing, amen, to forgive and cleanse, and always willing to make covenant with man on the ground of the finished work of Christ. He is always, listen to me, you must believe that. He is always willing to forgive. Now, I know what someone could be thinking. What about 
a preacher could not send away, amen, my opportunity. Absolutely, amen. You can so harden your heart. What about a reprobate? A reprobate man is someone who's been turned over to their sin, amen. Absolutely. But what happens there is not so much with God, but with me and you, amen. And if we sin away and cross a line and become so hard, amen, it's not that God wouldn't forgive us, Amen. It's that we won't meet the conditions. Amen. We become so hardened. We become so calloused to the things of God. And oh, what a warning that should be for every one of us. You keep living in sin, mister. You keep di- disobeying God. You hold back your life from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You tremble when someone asks you if Jesus is your Lord. And deep within, you know that He's not. You make your own decisions. You run your own life. You choose where you go. You choose what you do. How you spend your money. Amen. Jesus is not Lord. You're Lord. You keep living like that. And friends, one day, somebody could preach to you, and you'd never know the difference. you become so hardened. Amen. What's the second bloodletting? Wrestling in Gethsemane in prayer. Wrestling in Gethsemane in prayer. It says, in being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now we know, amen, that Jesus understood. He understood why he was born. Amen. He understood where he was headed. He knew that he would be rejected by the scribes, amen, and the Pharisees and the nation of Israel. And he knew that he was to be crucified. He tried to communicate this to his disciples, but they were hard of hearing, dull of hearing, amen. And on the eve of his crucifixion, amen, when Jesus knew exactly what he faced, it says in the beginning of that chapter, before he went into Gethsemane, that he and his disciples sung a hymn together. That's the only place in the New Testament, amen, where it says that Jesus sang. But it says that he sang a hymn. Now, listen to me. Just as a side note, I want you to consider. You know, we'll sing sometimes, but we only sing when the sun is shining and the roses are blooming and the birds sing along with us. When everything is fine and dandy, amen, when the future looks good, got plenty money in the wallet, amen, All the cars are running. No one is sick. Then we want to worship God. Then we want to praise God. Amen. But let us face an obstacle in the Spirit. Let us face temptation and oppression. And the tendency is we just crash in on ourselves. Selfish. Blind. Carnal. Amen. I'm gonna go to my pastor. My pastor is gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna minister to me, make me feel better. That's no pastor. Man, a guy would tell you, quit acting like a victim. Get out of your pity. Self-pity is a sin. I said self-pity is a sin. Hey, Amen. You can always worship Jesus. 
You know, listen to me. When uh, we found out what happened and my wife almost died and, and the baby was, uh, you know, born with severe brain damage, I told my wife, God is the same today as he was yesterday. Amen. He hadn't changed a bit just because I'm going through something. Amen. He's the same God that I worshipped yesterday and last year. Nothing has changed with him. He's still worthy to be praised. He's still worthy to be honored. Amen. We ought to learn a lesson. We ought to grow up in the spirit. Amen. You don't walk by sight. You don't walk by what you feel. Amen. You walk by truth and the word of God. And the Bible says, amen, that we ought to worship him in spirit and in truth. And we ought to rejoice to do so. But Jesus was singing, amen, on the eve of the worst night that any man has ever faced. In the history of humanity. Amen. I don't believe that's in there by accident. But we go on to Gethsemane. And that literally means, probably as you know, the olive press. Now the olive press was used to crush the olives so as to recover that which is useful to anoint and to heal. For the most part, that's what olive oil was used for. For anointing and for medical properties. So it was here. At the olive press, where Jesus' soul was pressed out of measure. Intense pressure. Intense oppression. Amen. Preacher, would you explain to me the root or the foundation or the cause of that intensity? Well, I have an opinion, though I can't really prove it by the scriptures. Amen. I believe foremost, amen, it was, and, and I don't even really know, amen, how to explain the implications of this. But by him being a substitute for you and I and taking upon him, at least as a sin offering and as a scapegoat, the, the sins of the world and that apparent separation from his father briefly, I believe that troubled the Lord Jesus more than anything else. But I don't dismiss the fact that he knew he was going to face one of the most awful deaths a man could die. Horrible, unbelievable, unspeakable physical pain. And I will remind you, saint of God, he did that for you and me. He did that for you and me. So earnest and so intense was his prayer that the tiny capillaries in the sweat glands ruptured, or so they say, and his uh, blood was mixed with sweat. It says, amen, the blood falling down to the ground, sweating blood. Amen. That's why you hear the term blood, sweat, and tears that was inspired by this biblical account. Now, remember, it was in the garden that man originally submitted his will of the devil. He sinned and forfeited sweet communion with God. Listen to me. The aim in regards to humanity in the atonement is to restore relationship between man and God. God desires a relationship with man. It says in the account of the garden, amen, that God would walk in the cool of the day with Adam. And there was sweet communion. And sin 
forfeited that. Amen. But praise God. Remember, he lost it in the garden. But here in the garden, the second Adam submitted his will to God and prayer. Amen. And now the blood speaks to us for a second time. You can know this saint of God. You can have a covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's no excuse for you not to have one. Amen. You can walk in intimate fellowship with God. You could know God. You could know God in a greater way than you know any other human being. I've used this analogy many times. Amen. I don't know, uh, you know, Dion, for example, too well. I've only met him a few times. But, you know, we could lock one another up in a room together and we could talk for years. And we may really never know one another. But if I could get my spirit out of my body and get in his body with his spirit, I would instantly know Dion. And I would know him better than I know any other human being. This is New Testament Christianity. And you don't have to want, do I know God like that? If you ask yourself that question, then you probably don't. Amen. You must walk with him. And you must intercede and commune with him. Listen to me. The blood of the Lamb, Jesus, has secured the victory. Now I can tell you, to establish a prayer life, and I believe I speak to you now, as your pastor in this church, I have seen the evidence that there are many of you never really established, never really prayed through to a prayer life. I mean, you may pray a little bit here and there, but as far as really praying through to God, the reality of His presence. To know where you can say, I have been with Jesus. I talked to Him. He talked with me. Amen. Listen to me. The devil will fight that harder than anything else. What's the primary thing necessary to pray through? Hunger! When you seek me with all of your heart, that's when you're going to find me. As Brother Charlie said the other night, we have just as much of God as we want. Amen. Right here in the night. There's no excuse not to know Him. The blood has been shed. Amen. But even under the worst pressure, you and I can have in, intimate, dependent fellowship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is absolutely necessary. Amen. You must know this is eternal life. Amen. That they would know the Lord Jesus and God, the Father. Amen. That Knowing there is not speaking about a casual knowledge, but an intimate relationship. And it's imperative. Amen. Above all things, that's the question. When examining yourself, is there anything between me and Jesus? Can I, am I conscious of His presence? And I realize, amen, that sometimes God will remove the consciousness of His presence and test us. But am I walking with Christ? Do I know Him? Jesus, amen, His blood was shed here in Gethsemane, and we see that victory can be won in the prayer life. The third bloodletting 
is the beating that he took. says he was scourged. Now, scourging is a cruel and an awful punishment. Generally, something called a cat of nine tails was used as scourge. These tail were, tails were nine leather thongs loaded with jagged pieces of metal or bone and weighed at the end with lead. Amen. Under scourging, the flesh was methodically ripped from the torso. Amen. It exposed muscle tissue and bone and even internal organs. And listen to me. It was commonplace for them to scourge someone before they crucified it. In actuality, this is part of the whole process. In other words, in that time, if you would have told a man that he was going to be crucified, he would have already understood that the scourging would come before they put him on the cross. The psalmist prophesied of this terrible thing that the Lord Jesus Christ endured. The powers plowed up my back. They made long their furrows. What does that literally mean? They dug holes in his back with a whip. Amen. Excruciating, awful pain beyond imagination. Now, according to Jewish law, a prisoner could be given a maximum of 40 lashes. Amen. Now, I know that he was in Roman custody, but this was for the most part a universal custom, and it was typical for just about everyone. But seldom were 40 lashes ever administered as it was often fatal to do so. That's why you hear, for example, the Apostle Paul said, they gave me 40 lashes, save one. 40 lashes, save one. Thus it is generally understood that Jesus was publicly lashed 39 times. Amen. His blood was shed. They took him, lashed him to a pole, took that cat of nine tails, and took God manifested in the flesh and almost killed him with basically a bullwhip. Amen. Think of it. Awful, terrible pain. And there the blood oozed out of his broken and shredded flesh. Amen. And that blood speaks to us. Amen. It's been said that there are 39 root diseases. And the Bible says, by the stripes of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been healed. Amen. Now, I want you to know here this morning, healing is in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Healing is in the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that can be proven by the Gospels for the fulfillment of that prophecy that it said, by his Christ you are healed. Amen. Was fulfilled in the Gospels when he healed the sick. Amen. When he healed the sick. So you and I can rest assured there is a promise for healing from every disease, every physical ailment. Well, preacher, why don't we see it happen? Oh, well, there's a lot of things that could hinder the moving of the Holy Ghost. But I'm going to still believe the Bible. Not everybody's getting born again either. I still believe in regeneration. A lot of folks speak in tongues that are devils. Most people in America that speaks in dove, de tongues are devils. It's counterfeit. Counterfeit. I still believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm not going to shuck healing just because I hadn't seen healing. Amen. Like I should. And I admit, I am not experiencing the book of Acts to my shame. But healing is in the atonement. Oh, you ought to slip up your hand. And thank him. He took that beating. Oh. 
He took that beating for that disease. He took that beating for that oppression. He took that beating, amen, for that sickness. He took that beating for you and I. Oh, by the blood of the Lamb, the stripes of Christ, we are healed, amen. Thank God for the blood. The fourth bloodletting was the crown of thorns, and awful it was. And when they had plaited or braided a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. In other renditions said they smote him blindfolded and they asked him prophesy to us. Who hits you? Amen. Now I can tell you the modern day Jesus, nobody ever hated him that much. Amen. The modern day people wonder how could this happen. I want to remind you, Jesus came to this earth and he was murdered. And he said, if the world hated me, it's going to hate you. Hallelujah. Oh, but they mocked him. Here we see the Son of God enduring the most intense mockery and ridicule. Our Lord becomes an object of diversion and insults at the hands of pagans. We can only imagine. After he was tried, he was turned over, amen, to the guards and soldiers and bystanders, whomever it may have been. And you can only just imagine men that are wicked, men that are evil, men that were demon-possessed, incited, inspired by the demonic, and they took him aside. The Bible says he went as a lamb to slaughter. He didn't open his mouth. And you can almost imagine they drug him in a room and sat him down. Who is this Jewish uh, peasant? He claims to be a king. And they begin to mock him and smite him and slap him in the face and make fun of him. And they begin to spit upon him. You can imagine they begin to probably drink and entertain themselves as they mock the Son of God. And one of them came up with an idea. He claims to be a king. Why don't somebody go out in the brush and gather a been a crown for our king? And so one of them, as he giggled, went out into the woods there and put together, uh, found a vine of thorns. And not like, you know, the briars we find around here, but some real thorns, two or three inches long, sharper than a razor. And they braided together. And somebody found an old robe and an old stick of reed laying around. And they came in and put a robe on him and began to mock him and beat him as the blood ran down to his waist and they brought the crown in and put it upon his head and they said, Oh, King of the Jews, why don't you command? And another one slapped him and another kicked him in the stomach. And they said, His crown's coming loose. One of them took the reed and pressed it on the crown and shoved it down upon his forehead and it rent the flesh all around his Amen. Isaiah prophesied of this. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Oh, and don't be deceived, saint of God. They didn't just slap him around a little bit. The Bible says his visage was marred more than any man. Now you think about that for a moment. There's been people terribly brutalized beaten to a bloody pulp. Not as much as Jesus was. Not as much as Jesus was. 
when he finally came to the cross, he was unrecognizable. A mass of bloody, bruised, and shredded flesh. Saint of God, let me remind you, this was for you and I. This was for you and I. Hebrews 13 and 13, though, says, Let us go forth, therefore unto him, without the camp, bearing his reproach. What does this mean? How does the blood speak to us here? Amen. I can tell you there's a reproach to follow the Lord. There's a reproach you must embrace. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I was raised in church. I said sinners' prayers about every two or three weeks. If you'd have asked me on the street, bumped into me at the mall, asked if I was a Christian, I would most assuredly tell you that I was. If you challenged that, I'd have tried to beat you to death. Amen? I, I, I claim to be a Christian. I claim to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I was totally and absolutely deceived. And a mark of my life was, no one hated me because of Jesus. But the moment I got right with God, every friend I ever had, my family, all my acquaintances, they thought I lost my mind. I was totally and completely misunderstood. You know, the young Christian that comes to Christ, you say, well, that hadn't happened to me. You're not right with God. The carnal mind is what? Enmity. You know what that means? Hatred. You got a carnal mind, you hate God. Every sinner has a carnal mind. There's no argument to that. They may not know it. They may not be conscious of it. But that's the truth. Now, you get God inside of you, and they hate God, you're going to know about it. Amen? You manifest their greatest enemy, and every unregenerate man is an enemy of God. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be misunderstood. Amen? There's going to ha- it's going to happen. And Jesus embraced the shame. He embraced the shame. Amen. He shed his blood. And we can overcome that temptation to shy away from the shame and the reproach. To stand with the Lord Jesus Christ in this wicked and adulterous age. I can remember when I was first born again. Wasn't just two or three months old. And God and the Holy Ghost began to deal with me. He said, you go into the streets where you used to sin against me. And you lift up your voice. And you proclaim me and me crucified. He said, you go to that campus where you used to go to school. You find yourself a bench. You stand upon it. And you proclaim the gospel. I was terrified. Absolutely. Absolutely paralyzed with fear. Those were my peers. I was only 25 years old. Most of those students were 22 to 23, some of them older. I knew many of them. And to stand out there, listen to me, and to identify publicly with the Lord Jesus Christ, there was the temptation to be ashamed. Amen? Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before this adulterous and sinful and wicked generation, I shall be ashamed of you. 
Oh, but I can tell you, many times as I walk, I used to go by myself. There wasn't anybody that I knew when I went by myself. And I would walk around that prayer ground praying. And it was like 10,000 devils would oppress and push me down. And the thought of standing there, I didn't have the strength within myself to overcome that. But thank God for the blood of the Lamb. Thank God for the effectual blood of Christ. I didn't know all that. But I simply said, Jesus, help me. And he would fill me with the Holy Ghost. And he will help you. And he will help all of us to embrace that reproach and that shame. And never more needed than right now. When this culture is absolutely given over to a spirit of Antichrist, the, the righteous are bold as a lion. Amen. And we need the blood of the Lamb. The fifth bloodletting is the bloody cloak. It says, and after they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him. Now we have to kind of read between the lines here. Remember, Jesus had been scourged. There were open wounds all over his body. I don't doubt that Jesus was bleeding profusely from everywhere in his upper torso and perhaps all the way to foot from that beating that he had taken. And that warm blood freely flowed down his body. But when those soldiers put that old robe on him to mock him, amen, you can only imagine it served basically as a giant gauze, amen. And that blood began to coagulate and dry and basically become one with the robe itself. You know, if you have a terrible wound that's bleeding and oozing and you take a piece of cloth and put that over that wound and it's going to begin to coagulate, amen, then there's going to be a scab. So Jesus basically with this robe, amen, became one giant scab, amen. And after those soldiers entertained themselves, it simply says they took the robe off. But you see, we need to understand how terrible and how awful that must have been to get that garment with that dried blood to every wound off of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that belongs to my uncle. I got to get that back. It's stuck to him. We don't have time. It's time for the execution. Just pull it off of him. So they ripped it off his body. And every wound was reopened. And the blood flowed again. Now listen closely. The blood is speaking to us. Have you ever wounded him again? Have you ever wounded him again? What a terrible thought, amen. But I can tell you what the blood was shed. The blood was shed, amen, that you can come. If any man sin, there is an advocate with the Father. The Lord Jesus, amen, righteous, pure, holy. He is a propitiation. Not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. But I want you to notice here this morning, amen, he didn't do it over and over again, amen. He didn't do it over and over again. I know Jesus will forgive, amen, 70 times 7. But I want you to know something about backsliding. 
There's a difference between a saint falling and then getting up. Amen. And someone shucking off Christ and going back out in that world. Amen. Listen to me. I'm not here to tell you that God came for you. I believe right here we see that's what we're talking about. Not someone being overcome, sinning. That's an awful thing. That's a tragic thing. Repent. Amen. Get up. There's no hope if you don't repent and get up. But hey, praise God. There is hope because I can repent and get up. Just maintain a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to understand. Listen to the warning of the Holy Ghost. It's a dangerous thing to know God and go back in that world. I've known very few people that really, really knew God that went out there that ever really made it back. I'm not saying it's impossible. Listen to me. I believe it is. I believe God's mercy along far above. But I can tell you, there's a lot of other dynamics going on. Amen. Listen to me. There ain't but one way in this thing, and that's Christ. There's only one way through the door, Jesus. But likewise, there's only one way out of this thing. And that's through that same door. And to get out of this, if you've really been born from of God, you've got to basically look Jesus in the face as He stands between you and that godless world and say, move out of the way. And He will ask you, you don't want me? No, I don't want you. I want that. And you've got to harden your heart to do that, mister. And you know what's going to happen? You're not going to have no feelings. You try to get right with God. It's going to be by blind faith. Ain't going to be no honeymoon the next time. Amen. Because this conscience. Been, see, you had to sear it that much to get out of here. Amen. You had to sear it that hard to tell Jesus to move out of the way so that you could see it. He will forgive you. But it's going to be by blind Neck in faith until everything is restored. And he will restore everything. And most people cannot make it through the confusion. They're so used to walking by what they feel. They can't feel God. This is all I'm trying to tell you. Don't forsake Jesus. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Oh, for the backslider, the bloody cloak. But he didn't do There's a limit. Amen. There's a limit. The sixth bloodletting, the crucifixion. Amen. And it was the third hour. And they crucified him. The crucifixion, of course, is the culmination of the atoning work of Christ. Crucifixion is one of the most horrible and humiliating deaths a man can die. It involves excruciating pain, not only from the spikes used to nail the victim to the tree, but the incredible pressure placed upon the body. You and I can't even imagine someone nailing us, spiking us down to a cross or to a tree. I mean, it's unthinkable. It's, it's unbelievable. Amen. Ultimately, the mechanism of death and crucifixion, though, is suffocation. And, and, and I would rather be, you know, decapitated. Amen. I, I'd rather drown. I, I may rather short tank, but probably not. Amen. To crucifixion. But listen to me. How awful and terrible a death it is. How humiliating, amen. To breathe, the victim was forced to push up on his feet to allow for the inflation of the lungs. As the body weakened and the pain in the feet and legs became unbearable, the victim was forced to trade breathing for pain and exhaustion. Do you understand? He stretched out on that cross. And as the weight 
Amen. He weigh, the weight of his body. His legs are weak. He's, he's in a pinch, in a bind, so to speak. The way that he was placed on that cross placed his upper torso and his lung cavity in a bind, and he couldn't expand his lungs. So he has to push up against those nails and those spikes driven into his feet, and he had to pull up on his hands, and so the pain was awful. And, uh, you know, generally speaking, the victim was worn down till they were suffocated. I realize Jesus commended his spirit to the Father. I believe when God said it's time, it's time. I don't believe they took that life, amen. He laid it down. Nevertheless, he endured awful and terrible physical pain. As that divine blood flowing from his entire body stained the cross, it speaks to us again. Better things than the blood of Abel, amen. It's here at the cross. Where the Lamb of God was sacrificed for us. Amen. Sacrificed for us. Jesus freely gave himself. And it's here that the love of God is most clearly understood and seen. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. Amen. Likewise, it's here we're given the privilege to be crucified with him. Amen. That we may live, amen, and that he may live in and through us. So that we could do what? So that we could be rich and prosperous and happy? No, no. And I, I'm not denying that there's a prosperity to the Bible and that there is a happiness. Blessed, he said, are ye. That means, amen, happy are ye. If you hear these things and do them, amen. I believe there's a Christian happiness. I believe there's a prosperity. The, the prosperity of the Bible is I have everything, amen, that God or everything I need to do the will of God. I don't have to have a Learjet or a Rolls Royce, amen, to do the will of God, amen. But primarily, that we can live for His glory. You know, you have to be born again to do that, amen. See, the, the foundation of sin is selfishness. You must be delivered from yourself so that you can joyfully lay down your life that Christ might be known. That you would lay down your life for others. Nobody can manage that apart from regeneration. First John 3 and 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. Amen. Everybody shouts at that. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Amen. It's by the blood that we can be liberated and free from self. That we can offer up an acceptable sacrifice. That we can be free to serve. That the Holy Ghost can shed abroad in the heart everyone in here that calls himself a Christian. That the love of God, amen, would truly be in the heart. You let everybody in this place be filled with the love of God. We have revival unparalleled. There will not be any problems here. You get filled with how are you going to be holy? You're going to have to love God supremely. If you love God with all of your heart, you won't sin against him. He who loved me keepeth my word. He that loveth me not keepeth not my word. If I love you and you love me, I'm not going to steal from you. I'm not going to commit adultery with your wife. See, love is the fulfilling of the law. 
But divine love is supernatural, and it's only imparted to those who have been washed in the blood, born of the Spirit. And finally, here this morning, the seventh bloodletting, the purest tribe. But one of the soldiers, it says in John 19 and 34, well, the spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. The final shedding of blood. The final shedding of Jesus' blood. And it occurred after his death. The soldier plunged the sword into the side of the Lord Jesus Christ, and outflowed blood and water. Both the blood and the water are foundational elements of this covenant. Jesus' blood having redemptive power. And it does have power. Amen. It does have power. And the water being typical of the Spirit and the Word. Even after the death of the Lord Jesus, the blood continued to speak. And it's speaking to us here this morning. I want you to know, amen, this is after Jesus said it's finished. The atoning work of Christ is a finished and complete work. It continues on though Jesus has ascended to his Father. Amen. The blood and the water is effectual and available to human hands. Amen. If we will but be partakers of Christ, he will complete and he will finish the work in every one of us. Amen. If we will simply believe, yield, and not frustrate the grace of God. You know, Charlie brought it out this morning. I'm not so much to produce anything. I am to offer my body. I am to present, amen, my body as a living sacrifice. That's the liberty of the new covenant. That's joy unspeakable and full of glory. That I am changed internally, amen. And so therefore, amen, I live by a different tune and a different spirit. I must be born again. And I'm here to tell you this morning, the problem with the church is most people are not born again. That's really what the problem is. That people have not given themselves, not truly exercised faith in the finished work of Christ. You know, when I came to Jesus over 20 years ago, if you would have asked me, sit down and write what you believe on a sheet of paper, and you would have went further back in my life, when I was a drug addict and an alcoholic and a God-hater and a fornicator and a pervert, there was a certain point in my life while I was participating in those sins. If you'd have asked me to write down, give me the creed, what do you believe? They'd have been identical. I just said, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he rose from the dead on the third day. I believe I have to believe in him or I'm going to go to hell. What's the difference? I didn't have real faith. I had devil's faith. I said, but did not. Faith without works is dead. You know, a lot of times you hear people just reduce, if you would just believe in the finished work of Christ, that's salvation. You know, that's the truth. We have to explain it and expound upon it because people mishandle the truth. They think that means mental assent. But I'm here to tell you this morning, if you will look to the remedy, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundations of the world, 
His blood shed, it is sufficient. It is effectual for every need that you have here this morning. There is no area of your life that you cannot overcome through faith in that blood shed for you. Amen. Why don't you stand with me here this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus, the remedy. Lift up your hands and worship the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, the Bible says the goodness of God leads a man to repentance. I can tell you what, we heard a lot of things this week that were absolutely necessary to hear. But I want you to know something. The Bible says we love Him because He first loved us. The love of God in any man's heart originates because He has a revelation of the love of Christ for Him. I owe Him. I owe Him. I owe Him. I owe Him everything. I'm nothing without Him. I can do nothing. I can go nowhere. Why? Because I have seen the risen Lord. If you see Jesus crucified for you, if you see the blood shed for you, friend, I want you to know there's keeping power in that. There's keeping, but there's strength in that. There's strength for the soul. Oh, weary pilgrim, if you just look to Mount Calvary and see the Lamb of God slain for sinners, hallelujah. If you just believe there's a fountain filled with blood, it'll wash away every stain of sin. If you just believe that the chains of sin and bondage can be broken by the blood of Christ, then you'll go free, friend. Hallelujah. Why don't you find a place? to seek the Lord here this morning. Hallelujah. You ought to thank Him that He died for you. It's good for us to meditate on that. That beating He took, He had me. He had you in mind. We were His enemies, but He came to bless us. That ought to humble you. You owe Him. I owe Him. I can never repay. I can never repay that debt. But I'm aware that I am indebted to Jesus Christ. And He calls me and He calls you. Come and follow me. Come and follow me. He's worthy to be Lord. Not merely in profession, but verily in truth and in reality. That we can say, you are my Lord. You are my King. You are my God. I'm a disciple of Christ. I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's by His blood. His blood that was shed. The atoning blood of Jesus. Precious. We weren't redeemed. They've been with corruptible things. Things like silver and gold. Things that pass away. But the most precious thing in all of the universe, far superior, far more valuable than any element, far more lofty than anything we could ever imagine, that blood was spilled. That blood was shed for you and I. 
Love him here this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah. honor for the blood. Allow the Holy Ghost to break you by the blood. Praise 
Hallelujah. One more time. Oh, the blood. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood. Oh, the blood. Oh, the blood. The blood. The blood. The blood. Hallelujah. Father, we are thankful here today. We ask you, Lord, that this word would fall upon good ground in the name of Jesus Christ. That we would not leave here today and forget what we've heard. Lord, we would be mindful. We would examine ourselves, Father. Oh, that you would use this to humble us. That we would see our great need for Jesus. We ask you to we didn't need it, he wouldn't have done it. If we didn't need it, he wouldn't have done it. The Bible says God spoke by his word, spoke the world into his But he couldn't speak away sin. So far was that fall. So depraved fallen humanity. That's a generic term. Let's use this term. So depraved. So fallen. So godless. So wicked. Were you He'd have never done it. If it wasn't needed. It was needed for me. Everything that he endured. Everything, amen. The shedding of his blood in every way. The awful and intense and horrible and agonizing and unspeakable torture that he endured. It was necessary to redeem me. Oh. See, we like to think that was for such. Hitler needed that, amen. I can just skim off the top and that cleanses. You've got to eat my flesh, drink my blood, or you don't have any part in me. Amen. Peter didn't wash didn't want him to wash his feet, said, You gotta be like me. He said, Wash me all over. Wash me all over. I'm your example. All or nothing. And it required every bit of that atoning work to secure us. We ought to be thankful, amen. Once again, lift your hands. Lord, we are thankful. Not thankful enough, we know. Oh, we are. Help us, Lord, to see you, oh God. We pray for eyes to see as we ought to see, Lord God. Give us revelation of the mighty Christ so we can be appreciative, that we can love, that we can serve, that we can love you with all of our mind, heart, soul, and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. God bless you. There's a fellowship in Cineville at uh, Sister Brenda Keaton's home. You're invited, amen.
There'll be a meal there. If you don't know how to get there, want to come, just ask one of us. And we'll tell you how to get there. You can follow us. Amen. We have service tonight, 7.30 p.m. Amen. We're going to have uh, basically just all of these young men are going to testify and preach. I believe God's going to speak to us through them. Amen. It's not over yet. Hallelujah. God bless you. We love you, Brother Timmy. Then I believe we'll be leaving, returning to Loosedale. Make sure you express your love to them and your appreciation for them. Amen. God bless you. Hug somebody as you go. You're dismissed. Lord willing, we will see you at the fellowship and tonight. Amen.